Welcome to A Tribe Called Methodist. Where we talk about personal holiness, social holiness, a lot of irrelevance, and a whole lot of irreverence. Our guest today is uh, Chris Wiley on episode two. That's right. And uh, Chris Wiley is a blogger. And he is known as the Crip Pastor uh, on his blog and Crip Pastor 716 on Twitter. So go ahead and look him up. Uh, Chris, welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. Look me up. Absolutely. Um, so we're at annual conference, and this is uh, day three of annual conference. I can't believe we've been here. Day three that of, long. The, of the shit show. Day three. It seems like forever. It does. It really does seem like a long time. Uh, our beer of the day, um, because this is just, you know, because we spare no expense, we have gone for champagne, of course. The champagne of beers. Absolutely. We are living the high life with Miller High Life. That's right. Cheer- cheers. 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 And uh, cheers. Cheers. Cheers to you. Uh, I'm Chris, cheating. I'm drinking wine. Chris is drinking wine, but he's keeping it classy straight from the bottle. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, what we've been trying to do is, um, well, we want to set the soundtrack very first thing. So, with that in mind, do you have a song for us? I think, I was thinking about this. I was listening to your first podcast from yesterday. And I would say, based on where we're at, and since we're at annual conference, and fighting about a lot of stuff about inclusion and exclusion and all those sort of things... I was thinking about uh, what it's like from Everlast. You remember that song from maybe the 90s? Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. or yep. early 2000s, yep. maybe? Yeah, sure. Because I think for me, and I, I suspect we'll get into this as we go, but a lot of the people who sort of are more exclusionist, more uh, legalistic in nature, my guess is that they're not bad people. They just like exposure and experience. And sometimes when you kind of haven't had a messy haven't experienced messy life you you don't know what you don't know and so you can read scripture a certain way and say well that's what it says but then sometimes when you're down in the dirt and you've seen a little bit more stuff that you have to take a step back and say well maybe this isn't quite so black and white as I thought and that's the sign that came to my mind that's a, that's a interesting song to have come into your mind, and uh, um, you have made a couple appearances at at the mic. So um, I think your ability to propose that as a song, particularly as it pertains to uh, life experience and how life experience can come to reshape what we may at first perceive as something that is immovable and only. Uh, specific and narrow is is a good suggestion. Good song of the day. I got a, I got a song for the day. This is my, maybe a runner up. If I could do that. All right, fair my, enough. My song of the day is Alice Cooper's "Elected." Like all I can ever think about is I want to get elected. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And then in the video, have you ever seen like him do it in concert? He has people dressed up as presidents go out on stage and beat each other up. And I feel like that's a perfect annual conference. <laughs> I think that goes along with Wrestling Church, which I also suspect we'll get to. I hope that we can get to Wrestling Church. Yeah. So speaking of Wrestling Church, because, you know, there's, there's no reason not to get into things. As we've talked about tailgating as an annual conference reality, 
it brought to mind Bill's Mafia and the fact that we'd have to start breaking tables as well. Well, that was actually my my suggestion <laughs> that you know, uh, for those of you who can't, who can't see who can't see me and don't know me, yes, I'm Crip Pastor, but I'm a, a wheelchair user, so I would need some assistance. But I figure maybe. In keeping with wrestling moves, if somebody picked me up and body slammed me through a table, <laughs> you know, I think that could be kind of fun. Now, Matt said that he wanted to start it on fire. And I'm well, not sure I'm willing to go that far, but I'm halfway there. I mean, true, like, real Bill's Mafia, we could call it the Methodist Mafia. People would think it was one thing, and then they'd be shocked to find out it was just a bunch of people drinking and falling through tables. Um I think it's got. I think it's got a future, though. It oh, probably yeah, has yeah. some way. <laughs> it seems like Raddick coming for me. It probably, it probably has some legs. <laughs> wow! Boy, that went off the I, I rails didn't even real plan quick. That. <laughs> so what we what we like to do is last last night we introduced ourselves, and um, we. Um, kind of told our story. And so, Chris, I think before we, we get into some of the things that you um, y- you kind of advocate for and, and like to talk about uh, with regards to our annual conference, I thought I'd just give you a chance to maybe tell a little bit about your story. Come on, testify for us. Thanks. I appreciate it. You know, I, well, as I've said a few times in a few different ways, some funny and some not as, I'm disabled. I have cerebral palsy. And so, I've always known a disabled experience, but as I've aged, I've uh, had increasing mobility issues and things and and use a wheelchair now, which I haven't in the past. But even as I've, again, uh, experienced some different things, it's kind of opened my eyes to uh, that not everybody can do certain things the same way as as we kind of think. We have this narrow narrative of this is the way things should be. And again, this is what I'm saying with the experience. And uh, sometimes that's not the case. So I find myself doing a lot of advocacy work, doing a lot of uh, speaking up for others who can't or um, don't have the platform. I think that's one thing. That's what I think about with ordination too, is it gives you, uh, no pun intended, a pulpit to be able to say in in a number of spaces, that uh, we need to champion people who are on the margins. So, and well, that's and particularly our myself. system is supposed to provide, you know, th- the idea of appointment. And we could argue this forever, but the idea of appointment is this idea whereby you truly can be prophetic or an advocate, and it is not going to affect your status because you are doing that work. You're doing God's work or interpreting God's word. Whether that truly is reality in which we live, I, that's questionable. But that's certainly part of the idea of the whole system of ordination and appointment is to allow us to be prophetic in our role. Sure, yeah. that you couldn't just be kind of thrown out. That you know. Uh, in case I, anybody's wondering, by the way, I don't want to interrupt you, but in case anybody's wondering... The first time we recorded, we had the world's creakiest chairs, which you may have heard throughout the podcast. Now we have a dog. So in case you're wondering what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Legit mascot, which we'll provide. We're moving up in the world. A picture of. We're going to start a Facebook page. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, anyway, I, I don't want to give too much away. It, it seems to me, I, I, I know that I've shared this with others, but th- there was a time when we were a much smaller conference where there used to be a retirement dinner or a time in which retirees all gave a short speech. And I remember more times than not, more of those people saying they wished they had been more prophetic. They wished they had said the hard things that should have been said that needed to be said, but they didn't. They didn't take the full risk. And it's always stuck with me as to balancing, you know, that tension of security, job, you know, job security, if you will, as well as that task or or what we are tasked with in ordination of being prophetic, of of doing that hard work, saying those hard things. It's funny that you bring that up again, uh, just speaking from my experience. Um, Devin, I think you know that um, I worked my way off disability to be able to do social security disability, to be able to uh, become a pastor, to become or to go for ordination and and do the work that that we do. Yeah. And then I sort of found my way back on it, and now I'm trying to find my way back off it again. But there is the sense, especially when you live in a society that really wasn't created for you that that there is this risk that you know you can stay on the sidelines and do nothing and kind of be quiet stay out of the way and let things happen as they happen or you can step out and again no pun intended in my case roll out but <laughs> but really i mean it sounds funny but to roll out and to say you know look i'm here and I'm here not just for myself, but for other people uh, like me. But again, there's that risk of of going out. But I think that's the nature of the call. And no matter the body in which you live, mm. is that maybe you should be rolling out on some dubs. But if <laughs> <laughs> let's not get Peter into this right, or anything right, like that, be careful. But you know, some you, twenty inch rims with some spinners. But you know. <laughs> If we want, if we wanted, if we wanted security, there's a whole bunch of other jobs we could go do. But those aren't the jobs that we're in. So you know. let me let me um, question you, prompt you a little bit. You you yeah. today, one of the things that you went up and said today is among that that crap show that we were witnessing. Um, Crap show. It was. Let's just say it. It was a shit show. Shit, okay, it really was. It was Very, a shit frust- show. Frustrating. Which is frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I, mean there, I suppose there's some good to take out of that. But one of the things that you and, got and up and this and, is some from somebody who is there the least. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah. Your, your participation is minimal. When when you know when they say the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Yeah, that's that's definitely. <laughs> um, but you went up. As a way not necessarily of fully endorsing – you did ultimately say you, you would vote for it. But, but what you were trying to say was making overtures about breaking something apart or, or working towards a, a collective goal mm. when there is power that is not evenly distributed in and of itself is suspect. Equity. Is the term that I used? Yeah, and that, and that's what I heard you say, and and, and I and, and I think you did very well as of uh, 
speaking from your experience and saying, you know, apply whatever label you want. But when you have unevenness in that distribution, there's no way that there can be equity at the outcome. Right. When you're in a position of power, it's easy to to give some kind of platitude and say, oh, we're going to hear everyone's voice. We're going to lift everyone up. We're going to support everyone or we're here for everyone. And uh, the truth is, unless you show it, unless other people are actually lifted up, then it's all just words. It's bullshit. Yeah. And, and that's the impression that I got. Meanwhile, I was like, I was working my annual conference bingo board and you didn't help me strike off any squares. So I forgot about the bingo board. Yeah, that's yeah. that's my mistake. I should have prompted you before um, you went to the microphone. To be I think fair, there should you, be charges you, for you that. make up the squares. So that's true. Y- you know what Chris is going to the points that Chris is going to touch on. Well, I can hope he might say some of the key phrases that are on my bingo board. Schism being one phrase yeah, we, that we didn't we have hear not today. Got that. Yeah. We didn't hear it, the word schism today. We heard it today. on day one, but we did not hear it today. I'm sorry. I'll try better tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so why don't you, you, you have been, um, take us through kind of an itinerary or a timeline of your, of your ministry. Like where, where were you, where you started of my calling? It will kind of, yeah, where, where you started and where you are today and th- that journey through. I know it would take like all night time. No, sure. Can you hit the high points? Sure. Where I started was about as far away as you could possibly get. I, you know, uh, interestingly enough, uh, I grew up in a Methodist church. But I wasn't particularly religious or anything like that. What was your home church? Uh, Seneca. Okay. In West Seneca with Bob Leach. Okay. And uh, huh. And who I didn't really think about it until later, but he was probably the first person who I ever saw with an identifiable disability um, in a leadership type role. Hmm. Uh, he has polio for people who might be listening who don't know. And uh, I only thought about after the fact, like the impact that that likely had on me. Mm -hmm. But still, you know, I grew up kind of on the West Seneca, South Buffalo border um, in Buffalo, for those of you not from here. And uh, it's real blue collar, real kind of outsider. Matt, you and I have talked. A lot. We've talked a lot about it. Talked a lot about it. Yeah. And... um, you don't kind of reach too high because you're probably just going to get shut down. You know, there was a bar on each corner of my street. And when I was 16 years old, I was in them, you know, and, um, you know, I never planned to do this. I never really thought about doing this. As soon as my parents told me that I didn't have to go to church anymore, that the decision was mine, I didn't. And uh, so I was working at HSBC and I had planned to go to law school and uh, I was kind of working my way up there, and I was in the telephone sales department. And I met a woman named Bernice, who was just so different from anybody else that I ever met. And she didn't beat you over the head with her Bible. She didn't come legalistically and give you all kinds of rules and tell you everything that you were doing wrong. She was just different. She had this piece about her that 
sometimes you see in Christians, you know, with a more fully developed faith and one that I'm still aspiring to. Yeah, I was going to say, geez, man. Right. And she wasn't a saint. I mean, she lived the same life we live. Yeah. But, but, you know, she was different and I wanted to have what she had. I knew she was a Christian because she had a Bible on her desk and she read it on her breaks, but that was the only time, the only way that I knew it. So I went home and I read the Bible like a book and it clicked. And was there something particular within that experience, experience. of reading it that, that clicked um, in the sense of, I mean, the Bible's a big book. Was sure. it a particular story or a particular part or, or something where, you're, where, where there really was that, that moment for you? Or, or was it more the whole experience of it? The whole experience of it. slow enlightenment yeah, in sorts? But not really that slow. It, I mean, the development of my path toward ministry was fairly slow. Well, but, to me, what it sounds like in some ways is sort of the prevenient grace and this being the just, you know, yeah. the, that moment of just. But it was like grace. a light bulb. I mean, huh. it really was. It was that experience, that strangely warmed heart, strangely warmed experience. So you're that, a super Methodist. That we talk about in a way. You know, you're a, you're a true Wesleyan Methodist. Yeah. I am. I am because it was, it was the love of love of God, love of neighbor. It was that inclusion. Uh, I'm also adopted, so, you know, I never was able to sit across the table until recently because I've found some of my biological family almost accidentally, and uh, but until recently was never able to look across the table and be able to see somebody who looks like me. So between that and the disability, you know, and just general South Buffalo, you kind of, I kind of grew up as a sort of outsider. And I still think I have a lot of that, but it was faith. It was the story in the Bible. It was all these people who led these lives that weren't perfect, that kind of brought me into the story that it could have been me Specifically because I'm not perfect or because they weren't, I guess. Mm -hmm. You're right. You know, I I can sit here in my head and any of us could repeat off numerous biblical figures that have some sort of shortcoming. That's part of what they uplift to God about their inability to exercise their call. And every time God's like, nope, no, no, I've chosen you. Whatever that might be, whatever that shortcoming is. Yeah, there's no question. So... I had that and it sort of clicked, but well, it clicked. And so I started going back to church a little bit. I kind of shopped around churches and went a bunch of different spots, but I kept working because I still thought, well, I'm going to still do my own thing. I still want to go to law school and things like that. And uh, I was moving up and kept feeling this nag, this pull, you know, the call, as we as we would say it, uh, toward ministry. And I was out with back surgery. I had a, a herniated disc in my back, and I was out with that. And I finally threw my hands up, and I said, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't even really know all about this, but I'll call, I guess. So I opened up the phone book, and I knew the place that I would go next would be seminary. But I didn't know anything other than that. So I opened the phone book and there were two 
places. One was United Theological Seminary, which at the time had a campus on the Houghton campus in West Seneca. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other was Buffalo Seminary, which is a girls' school. And uh, I didn't know that. I just knew seminary. It probably disqualified you. It did disqualify me because I called them. And I said... (laughs) Uh, I said, hi, you're, I, you're, you're of the wrong gender. I don't know what to say here. And they said, well, we don't know what to say either. <laughs> so <laughs> that kind of took them out of the loop. And then I called United and they were having their uh, kind of exploring night. And I went to that. And it's kind of like one step and then another step and. It was actually on the same campus. I finished my undergrad in the Houghton Pace program, which was on the same campus. So I was in the same room for my seminary, most of it, as I was for my undergrad. And uh, if I had to go to Rochester, which is about, what, an hour away, an hour and a half away? About. A little, just I, a touch I wouldn't have done it back then. It seemed like the other side of the world. Now it doesn't seem so far. But back then it it seemed like a million miles away. I probably wouldn't have done it. So I was part of the last admitted class for United. United uh, Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. United Buffalo. Exactly. So I think God was moving there too somehow. What I love about your journey, I know you haven't even gotten into uh, ordination and 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 that process and the churches that you've served and where you're at now is um, in the churches that I've served, I've, I own my own house. But churches that I've served have had parsonages, and I have elected not to live in them. And for several churches that I served, Chris has followed me in the sense that he has lived in the house that I chose not yes, to I live in. Yes, I was thankful. <laughs> so I, I feel as though he he always was with me wherever I went. <laughs> I, I was thankful that you chose to live in your own house because it gave me hey I kept trying to give you better houses with every move so every move I was like oh this is a step up for Chris so I I I judged my moves based on your benefit (laughs) and I appreciate your support (laughs) I can't get over your t-shirt Matt have you been looking at this t-shirt yes yeah, I know our audience can't see this t-shirt and and it is Chris's birthday as he said but he's got Jesus on his t-shirt and, and Jesus is holding a bottle of wine in one hand and a wine glass in the other. He's got a Santa hat on. And above Jesus' head, it says, we gonna party. And below him, it says, like is my birthday. It doesn't say birthday, but I just added that in for, for flavor. For it's, flavor. It seems like, yeah, it seems like in the, it's in the spirit of the thing. Oh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah. It really is good. Um, so that kind of brings us to... You want to talk about ordination? What it means to you? Because sure. I know that I know that you were you were eager to talk about. Sure, I have been thing. eager. Yeah, because we talked about you not being ordained. Yeah, get on it. And uh, I'm his mentor, and I can't leverage him. Yeah, well, I, I think he's I think he's kind of hopeless, but I guess that's where the hope is, right? <laughs> wow, is that you got to hit the bottom before you move to the top? How how long does he have to bump along the bottom? I don't know. We'll sink him like a stone. He's a dragon. <laughs> so anyway, so I started going to seminary and I had a a really hard time getting appointed. Um, this for, is why you were in process for a or long time. While I was in process, yeah, I I think around that time I'm trying to put myself kind of in the position of uh, when our paths crossed 
because I've known you for a while. Right. And I served on the district committee of ordained ministry. And I actually was on the district committee at the time that you came to pursue commissioning. You were requesting to, to go on to commissioning. This and, predates that, actually. Oh, yeah. Is be, yeah. Just before that. Is I'm not sure I was on DECOM before. No, I don't think you were. Yeah. Okay. And I think there was just this question of, again, the disability and people saying, well, he can do it, but can he do it? You know, can sure. so so maybe he's called, but but again, can he do the can he do the work? And um, you know, you're always going to have people, as as one friend told me, that are going to be pulling for you, and you're always going to have some people pulling away from you. But and that's I think true of any one of us. But the, my disabling condition kind of adds to that. And, uh, you know, uh, I just kept, kept at it, I guess. And I was fortunate enough, Natalie Hansen was our district superintendent at the time, who was a big advocate mm-hmm. for me. And, uh, you know, and so she finally managed to get me an appointment that was just quarter time, which kind of got my foot in the door. Well, first, actually, I was interim. And then I was quarter time. Uh, I did an interim for a summer in Heartland, which is sure. okay. sort of northeast, I mm-hmm. guess, of mm-hmm. Buffalo. And um, it's Heartland and Niagara County. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I love how you lay claim to that. Yeah. Like, that is part of my domain. So I, well, I got well, that. Well, it's eastern Niagara County. It's eastern. But, it's, that's a different. But yeah. I don't. I don't. Actually. This is where I can talk about my ancestry. My great-grandfather pastored the Somerset United Methodist Church. Really? Yeah. Those co-falls run deep, man. Super deep. Like the Niagara River. <laughs> wow. Whoa. He should really be ordained. Wait a minute. <laughs> Filled with chemicals and... Well, n- n- well, never mind. Go, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. They weren't them. So... But that's some of what I think the ordination is about. It's about persistence. It's okay. about that commitment. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. what you guys talked about yesterday, you know, was that it's how committed are you to staying with this with this thing? How like are you, you're called, but are you are you going to commit to it? And, I'm so and, glad I wasn't listening to a single thing you said. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you weren't either. <laughs> Or two. So I I remember, and, and this is, now we're at the point where our paths sure. cross, uh, how, uh, how pissed off you were because DCOM said, we have no problems with theology. Your writing is spectacular. You speak wonderfully. But part of the reality of ordination is a commitment to serve in the capacity of full time. And it was that sense of, we don't know if we're setting you up for failure. I think that was the DCOM's I think that's true. concern is we don't have any reservations, but we don't want to set you up to go on to ordination where you have to serve in a full-time capacity and not be able to execute. But again, I think 
that's something that happens with disability, and this is why it's significant. Yeah, I, yeah, I kind yeah. of fought against it a little bit. You did, and I was, I was pissed for sure. Oh no, yeah, I, know. I mean, uh, there's there's no doubt in in my mind. You but know? I also remember you coming back after that and saying it was one of the as as pissed as it made you, it lit a fire in you in a way that you said it it kind of confirmed. Yeah. everything for you. Sure. So you hated it and, and, and it tore at every piece of you. And at the same time, it kind of verified. Sure. I mean, and part of me though, wants to say if I, I mean, that's, that's the question though. Should I, just because I'm in a disabled body have to go an extra hurdle, you know, I, and granted you're talking about full time. And I mean, it's tricky. We could talk about this all night too and I don't want to do that I don't want to get stuck here yeah don't, but, don't start to back, talk about full time with Matt and I because we'll tell you but uh, you know it's as a different story full time but I guess for me the commitment to to my call to be ordained yeah even now because some people might say well look we were right he's back out on disability and that's okay but uh, what I say now is more that I'm still called to this. My my call might take a different shape. But, uh, it might look a little different. It might, I don't know, hours or how that'll all shake out. But I think we kind of got stuck in this view of this is what church is. But as we've narrowed it down, we've kind of lost what faith is maybe a little bit. Perhaps. And I think the other thing that happens is, is in, in the tracks of ordination— if there's not an ability to view you within a local church parish, you know, providing the sacraments, then they say, no, you really want to be deacon. And if you understand your sense of call to the ministry of an elder, that just isn't going to do. Now, you're ordained an elder, but as you are now exercising your call, it's as a blogger. And I'm kind of wondering, like, how do you start to go around and be part of, you know, speaking at annual conferences or in other venues uh, from your place as part of your prophetic role? Like you're interpreting it in a different way. And it's not traditional in the sense of here's a church and here's what you're going to do. You're going to serve these people here. But you're an elder. There's no question about your call to the ministry of ordination as an elder. Sure. And that's a question that's not easy to answer because, you know, I hear other people uh, speak in all kinds of venues and I and I think, well, I talk about that and I talk about that and I and I talk about that. And it, it's a matter of ex exposure, you know, but it, but moreover, I think it's just doing what you can where you are. I mean, I think about the movement toward uh, toward more new faith communities right now. And I, I think that's a blessing because they don't all look the same. They don't all look just like the local parish. And uh, I think there's a great benefit to that because then we still all come together at annual conference where, uh, as again, you said yesterday is sort of our church. And yeah, it is our church, our dysfunctional yeah. church, right. our dysfunctional and it church. really yeah. is. Yeah, but but we may live out that call in a bunch of different ways. 
Sure. But it all, but we're all there together, all doing the same work, I think. So in regards to the annual conference and this shit show that has been the reality since February and then, you know, Judicial Council and blah, blah, blah. I know, Chris, that you have strong feelings and opinions on what is going on, what is not going on, uh, who should be brought up on charges or not <laughs> brought up on charges. So I, charges, I, I, charges, yeah. charges, charges. And I know you do that flippantly, but, you know, hey, we got we to gotta work towards just resolution now with any charge that's brought. So uh, when are you going to start throwing down? <laughs> you mean I haven't already? Isn't that that's the most, true? I yeah. don't know that. Yeah, I know they haven't been brought against me because otherwise we'd be working towards just resolution. And look, we'll just go get some wings and, and some beer. And we'll be all right. <laughs> Wait till tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> wow, eleventh hour. All right, the gauntlet is thrown. So I know that I've I've been. If we think about, uh, yeah. well, we'll talk talk about your, you know, what what do you think about? Where, where are you conference? at, man? Yeah, where, do you, where, I mean, you, where are you at? at where where we're at, and and what the experience is right now, and what you think the future? Because you and I, you and I have talked a lot about sure. this. I think we're just bogged down. I think we've lost what we're really here to do. I mean, so what do you think the end game is in this? Well, yeah. Let's let me if I can if I can interrupt here. Please. We've been kind of talking about the tenor of an annual conference this year, and we've seen a lot more parliamentary procedure, a lot more um, procedural procedural maneuvering. Um, Particularly today. But we haven't really seen, other than a, a comment by a particular colleague of ours, well, two really, right at the very beginning of conference and then today. Yeah. We haven't really seen sort of an end game kind of a sense is, of it's so broken this that. is what it looks like when we're, and this is how we're going to take it down or this is how we're going to negotiate why well, i think you were, I, I think you were going better before this is how we take it all this is yeah of. this is how we this is I mean, how let's be honest this really yeah. is about there isn't something here that we can save so we're looking at how yeah yeah I think I it's think it's divorce. Yeah. Right. Okay, it's divorce. It That's exactly and, and so, what it is. And so we're dividing up the house. And and I that was part of what I got out of what you said today. Lacking a lot of the the passion, i.e. swear words that you typically use when you're talking about the where the church is at, but that as we're <laughs> as we're talking about divorce, if there is one person of the marriage who holds all of the cards it's at the disadvantage of the other for an a truly amicable split of the household realities sure there's no question and i think that's where we are right now was that the power play of of general conference was really to see if they could hold those cards i mean that's what we're talking about yeah. to say okay you can leave but first of all you're leaving if if you don't agree, if you don't uphold this discipline. And then they sort of twist it to say, well, that's what you said you were going to do in your ordination. But but even then, it for me, there was never that sense of even when the discipline had exclusionary language in it, 
it sort of had the opportunity to try to work to change it, that it was a li- that it's a living document. And today was sort of the opposite of that was sort of, well, this is what it says. So you can't go any further with that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how, that's how the bishop was interpreting it. Um, and I'd say some of what my experience of what came out of general conference and the interpretation of it in our area is that, um, is in relation to those chargeable things or realities that are in violation will be fully enforced. So I, I, I think that you're right. My experience prior was that the discipline was a living document and we didn't all go around in violation of it. We worked to amend it. Um, but now we're being told that if you do anything that is contrary you know, it's going to come down on you. Which is a flat-out lie. We're talking about three sentences in the entire Book of Discipline. Well, most of it relates around ordination. Right. Most of it. Yeah. Um, not to say that it's not uh, exclusive in the sense of how ordination becomes an interpretation of value in a whole bunch of other ways. So, uh, Chris, if, if we could uh, maybe kind of switch a little bit here. Um, if you were looking at annual conference and you were thinking you're coming into next year, uh, it's after general, is it before or after general conference? It would be after general conference, I think is in May. So what kind of outcome would you be looking at? What would be a positive outcome? Well, I mean, the thing is, is any proposition and and I know that Chris is going to talk here, but any proposition that comes out of general conference requires. So let's say the separation is a part of that requires a two-thirds vote of every annual conference to ultimately ratify it. So no matter what happens at general conference, there's an outcome in the annual conference. If I understand my disciplinary, parliamentary, if you're talking about constitutional changes, not just disciplinary, but constitutional, and the church breaking apart in some sort of amicable way would be, I believe, a constitutional change. So every annual conference by two-thirds vote would have to do that. So let's talk ideal versus reality. Okay. Ideally, is ideally is there a way Disco to keep balls this? and go-go dancers. No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ideally, is there a way to keep this thing together? Not as it is right now. Okay. I don't— uh, For me, I, I can't think— can't see it at all. No. Well, I mean— Well, I, I, we're, we're talking practically. Right. You know, there was the cold— you know when when our colleague got up and we won't we won't name names here because there's no point in that but when our colleague got up on the very first day and said dick trickle dick trickle <laughs> doesn't he race if, cars if, <laughs> if he ever hears this he's really going to be pissed do you think he's the kind of person who holds might a, trickle <laughs> do you think he might hold a grudge actually if he hears about this and he's pissed let's get him on this podcast I thought it was trickle dick <laughs> I think he might be I right it was trickle dick it might, I think it was Richard trickle dick <laughs> Richard Not the race car driver. (laughs) No, no. So when he stood up, we got the cold reality, right? Wouldn't you agree? Right right off the bat, you mean? Yeah, right off the bat. Yeah, it named named what the truth was. I mean, somebody actually behind me, I heard heard a lot of audible gasping. That's right, you were there at that time. (laughs) 
<laughs> all five minutes. Hey. The I first was, day, actually, he was there, I think, almost all the time. I was. I was there. It just went downhill after it, that. It really convinced he me. He starts with the greatest aspirations. It's He's just, a real go-getter for five minutes. <laughs> okay. Five minutes is lasting long for him. <laughs> wow. <Huh? laughs> you might be surprised. Anyway. Charges. So, charges, yeah. So how you write with the pencil, I guess. Oh, man. Don't judge. Don't judge how the pencil writes. Anyway. Can you really can you really put a, a dick joke in a in a uh, Christian did. podcast? <laughs> That's definitely going in. Oh, it's a, it's irreverent. It's a, it's, we claimed yeah, it at the outset. Hey, man. We, we're embracing it. Was... it. Um, so that was the cold reality. But is there an is there an ideal is there any room for idealism left? I know that people say, well, God can do anything, and I don't believe that. You know, I don't believe in practicality because God can do anything. I kind of send, you know. Well, but is there room for idealism? I think it depends how you define it. You know, are you idealistic to say, can we all stay together as we are right now? I I don't think so, but. Can we stay together in some areas where we can still agree while also going our separate ways in some other ways? I think maybe that's true. What I what I worry about uh, is that what we keep suggesting in some ways sounds like stuff that was floated before February. And sure. so how we don't end up back at the same place, which those things didn't go f- forward. You know, the idea of a big tent or, you know. Well, I think some of the reason to me that they may have more of a chance now is I think the more legalistic side, um, because I don't view it as traditional, I view it as legalistic. I don't think they expected the backlash of the centerist. I thought they, I think they were probably counting on inertia. I I think you, so... Uh, and I touched on this a little bit, I think, in our last podcast, but um, I, was, I was baptized in Iowa, and, and my uncle, as February happened, said, I can't believe the church is doing this. We're talking about rural Iowa. And it was this very centrist position of it, whatever your choice is, is your choice. That's fine. God has room for everybody and I may not understand it, but that's not that's not for me to decide. And I think you're right. There's a surprise at how broad geography, rural, urban, across sort of that that uh, the response has been. Yeah, and I don't want to throw our brothers. Primarily brothers. I'll say brothers and sisters just for the sake of inclusive language. But our brothers under uh, who hold a more legalistic view of Scripture than I do, uh, under the bus completely, I think they were uninformed. I, th- I, you know, I think there's this realization now that we're, n- we're not going to be able to solve this by pushing some of the few people away. 
And I think, but that's also where I think the hope is okay. that that maybe if we say we don't agree here, so we split on that, but we can still work together in some other ways, like with general agencies, maybe, and and things like that, or for for some of the kind of administrative things. Right, um, and that's where I'm that, kind that of like could that, still that, that sounds like big tent. That sounds like these other things. Now, now maybe from what we're seeing is the results as annual conferences put forward their platform in America, put forward their platforms of people, is it largely has been a progressive rebuttal. I don't know how else to put it in the sense of the people they're putting forward. I think it's really been interesting that <clears throat> for the most part, progressives have organized for the very first time. For the very first time in a lot of places. I mean, you know. Florida? Yeah. Arkansas. Um, and, uh, and and Upper New York. Let's, let's be honest. Upper New, Upper York. New York is. S- since we've existed in the last since we've, a, yeah, a since decade. Since we've existed as a Ten annual years. conference, we mm-hmm. have definitely gained a reputation as a more conservative conference. Particularly in the Northeast jurisdiction, I think probably other than Western, Western Penn, Penn, yeah, we would be viewed as the most conservative. Yeah, I think that's true of Buffalo in general. You know, Buffalo, sort of. Well, where I come from, I mean, think about the Big Tree Republicans. Think yeah. about yeah. that sort yeah. of name. That, that, it's, a, it's a weird. Yeah, I yeah. guess so. Yeah, you right. have yeah. this sort of really conservative view. I mean, we <laughs> we elected a congressman who is. Who is oh my under indictment charges? So yeah, we elected him while real. while <laughs> right. he's under indictment. So I mean, you know, what do you have to do? It, I but was I, I was think, talking with Matt earlier about this when we merged it, it to be to become mega conference because you know there was the Western New York conference, there was the North Central conference, and there was the Wyoming conference, and there was the Troy conference, and all of those merged or other pieces of them went in other places. And when that happened, a lot of the concern of the other conferences was how conservative the Western New York conference was. Even though the Queen City of New York, the second largest city, was in that conference, as was Rochester, which is the third largest city in New York. I think it's also interesting too that as conservative as we of a reputation as we have, the Four most secular cities in the United States are Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, and Albany. Well, in, and to take it from a historical perspective, as conservative as we are, women's suffrage came out of Western New York. Uh, as did some of the most radical parts of the anti-slavery movement. Yeah. But and, you- and they also came out of the church, the conservative part of the church. You know what else I think happens, though, is when you see more progressive movements, you also get the backlash to those movements. And so you see the same thing. And I think that's and again, that's where the power is. Right. It's the I mean, it's it's the white male narrative of, you know, I'm going to hold on to everything I have because I can while I can. Who, who There was a book, The Gray Middle. Uh, he was a Methodist pastor that had been a congressman. I can't remember his name now. It was something like that. But basically it was talked about how as everything becomes more partisan, what really is lost is the majority of the lands in the middle. The big, you know, So it's not black and white. It's the gray 
middle. And there's a lot of my experience of annual conference that I feel is that the, 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 the grand majority that lies within the middle has a hard time with the experience. Sure. I think we all have a hard time with the experience, but definitely I think most people are, I mean, that's right. That's kind of the averages, right? Like every, most people are in the middle of anything, Sure, but you also get, you get the voices on the extreme edges that are going to be the ones, cause it doesn't take that many to really kind of stir things up and keep, and move things in one direction or control the, other. the narrative. Right. And the, there you go. But the but other folks in the middle are sort of stuck there, just trying to figure out how did this even happen, and Which, sort of you know, feeling like they have to choose a side sometimes. And this may come back to the sense of calling that we all have is not that we're called to be chaos agents, um, but man, you're not even allowed to use that I, word. I, ever. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I was looking for a different one, but I couldn't find chaos it. Chaos agent is a banned word. Banned. I'm sorry. Banned on this. Banned. Banned on this podcast. But in being prophetic, you know, and this is, I think, that fine line that all of us dance in the sense of our call into ministry is there are times certainly where we are called in being prophetic to say things that might be considered radical, difficult, hard. There's other times where saying those same things is not, you know, what is it? Do no harm. What are the three major rules there? The Wesleyan rules. Do good. Do good. Do no, do no harm. harm. Pra- uh, well, okay. We're gonna oh. do. A, we're gonna do a whole podcast about this. Okay. About the three simple rules. Because I really like attend to the ordinances of God, and I really hate stay in love with God. Okay. Well, that's that's a different thing. But you know, just thinking about the first two. Y- yeah, Hippocratic oath almost. Basically, at what point in being prophetic do we violate part of that do no harm piece? When when it crosses over into justice. Justice, yes. Because I think, to me, that's who Jesus is. And I think that's sort of my line, if I have to have a line, is, I mean, love God, love your neighbor. But also, I mean, Jesus' entire story is about standing up for people on the margins. It's about speaking out against legalism. It's about um, so it's about, equity. So it's about, uh, you know, addressing the system more it is than addressing the yeah. the, the individual per sure. se? Okay. I think that's what we miss. And we miss, we miss, in my tradition, which is the evangelical tradition, we miss out on the justice piece. The tradition you grew up in. The tradition I grew, yeah. But, but the tradition... I, mean, I guess you can lay claim to it still. Well, I still largely, as I reflect on it, you know, that's, the, that's in my inner being, that's the part I still come back to, you know. Um, but we miss out on the justice piece. Now, interestingly enough, when I went to college, I went to Houghton. And, which is a Wesleyan school. Which is a Wesleyan school. Right, for those that don't know. Very conservative yes. evangelical school. But one of the things that we talked about constantly was that idea of justice the whole fact that that was missing out of the faith experience of the, you know, average Christian that was attending the school. 
And so I think justice is a big piece and we have to, maybe that's where the, that's where the middle lies. Or that's where we get back together again could, is on this be. justice piece. I mean, in some ways, educationally, I sort of had the flip experience where everything was about justice, but there was no necessarily religion, religiosity grounded in the justice. And I think that's where, when I talk about, and Matt, you and I have had a lot of conversations about this, where I say I'm too conservative for my progressive friends and I'm too progressive for my conservative friends. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That for me, it's not one or the other, it's both. And because uh, it is my, my faith beliefs that inform the justice piece for me, that uh, justice comes with equity, but it comes because that's what, that's what love is, and ultimately that's what we're talking about. So if we redefine the middle, this is kind of an interesting idea. So let's redefine the middle then. And let's say that the middle is the place where we say yes and yes. We don't say either or. We say yes and. Oh, I think that's what the middle wants to do. Right. It wants to do that. But we're, we're but it's being positioned in a way that it has to say either or. And it's like, well, we don't, we don't want to say But maybe in a more or. rigorous way, we say yes and. What do, you, what do you think of that, Chris? I think I agree. And I think. It's being forced to because we've become too lazy to do the work. I mean, that's the, that's sort of the America, 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 America. What am I trying to say here? The American experience? Americanization of, of the gospel, right? Is that it's, it's solitary it's more individualistic. It's well, more this, about yeah, it's my like, experience. Uh, you know, I'm so, spiritual. So but. it's how am I experiencing this instead of how how does this work for not not just me, but for the world around me and for the there, people around me. We read, uh, you know, the, there was a, I think it was Spong. Now I've gone really liberal, but um, it was Spong that introduced this idea of a fourth grade awakening, and it would be the only way to get past the language of personal salvation, where it was just about us, our journey, our God. And yet our our whole Wesleyan rootedness is twofold, personal and social, that these things are deeply intertwined. And you don't have one without the other. They they work in concert with each other. Right. And I think that's kind of my point is that I don't know if we're being forced or if we've put put ourselves in a position where where it's just become so easy to to just kind of move out because that's what's best for me instead of instead of uh working with and I mean I'm almost contradicting myself. No, I, I don't think you this are. All through I don't think you are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I see that you're you're looking for the words and you're looking for the way to explain it. And I th- and I think it's hard when we're trying to envision what this is or what this new. So thing if could we be. could come up with a solution right now, if we could just put it out on the table and I talk about an okay. idealistic world. Maybe the solution would be to recapture the Wesleyan spirit of the United Methodist Church. How about that? There's this. I, Not only should he be ordained, he should be a bishop. 
I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to smack him around because he just said like well, what everybody always says, like, "Well, we're after you know." Saying, look, we're trying to get look, back we, to but we, biblical no, look, Christianity. Look, but we've we've talked all the way around this, and this is what we came up with. Well, that's what you came up with. Well, no, I don't, okay, I don't know. That's totally, totally. Yeah, okay, that that is fair. Um, but I don't know that it's totally off base because. All of, all of the old timers, if I can call them that, and Matt can go back to that era, and Derek can too. For those who don't know, Derek is sitting here in the wings being quiet, but the old timers that sat on every side of the spectrum of theology, they talk about the great debates of annual conference being about social justice. And all of them talk about how valuable those conversations were. And I came in at the very end where that was, there was still sort of a breath of that. And and that last gasp or breath probably went away in my first one or two annual conferences. And I think in essence what you're saying is, how do we get back to this place where those debates are not parliamentary, but about really rooting ourselves in what does it mean to execute this sense of personal holiness and social holiness and what we are committed to as Methodists and striving towards perfection personally and socially, working towards this sense of, you know, the kingdom of heaven on earth. I think we have to give up the kingdom of earth to be able to get there. And I don't mean that in some futuristic sense, but in a, in a power sense, in a, Let's stop looking to how we can conform to the world. Like, it's that sense of, I guess, being in in the world. I don't want to say in the world, but not of the world. I mean, that sounds sort of... Well, this is where I think your personal narrative ends up being prophetic to to all to say, I'm a direct person that has lives a different reality and you need to give up what you sense as normal in order to get to what really is I I don't know that I'm expressing it well no I think you are because I think what I how I how I would answer that how I'm gonna answer that is that it's all it's not reality anyway I mean you know, when I think about um, my body, what I see in the world around me, it's what we know. It's what I can reach out and touch. So I want to hold on to that. I want to control it. I want to have some say over what does or doesn't happen. But that's all an illusion because any one of us could have something happen not only tomorrow but tonight. You know, and our reality could be changed completely. And for me... That's the power, you know, um, I think about different scriptures that inform me. The one that I think of, which is is funny because you guys were talking about scriptures last last night, yesterday on your on the first podcast. And I think the one for me and it's often kind of misused, in my opinion, at for weddings is first Corinthians 13. The one that I go back to over and over again is that when all the other stuff is stripped away, when all the stuff that I can, all the stuff that I'm holding on to now, 
is gone, when all that is gone, that love is still going to be there. And it's in seeking out that love that I think you get to the heart of the gospel. Amen, brother. That's almost a point to conclude at. I think it is. Yeah. The other thing I think is forgotten in weddings, and I, and again, I think this is a point to conclude at, is the Corinthian church was the most fucked up church there was. And Paul was writing to them going, you guys managed to mess up everything. Can you just remember this little kernel in peace? And we use it in weddings and it's like, oh, my heart goes pitter-pat. And we're not forgetting that these are people, these are messed up people. And Paul's like, just, just come on. I guess that's my point. I use it at funerals. Yeah. I've used it at multiple funerals. Mm-hmm. Especially when when things are out of natural order, so to speak. Well, maybe we should be using it at annual conference. Talk about yeah. a funeral. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm, I was... The mic was over there, so I don't know if you heard me, but I agree. I think, I think that's the, maybe that's the point that if we start talking about the control that we don't have, maybe we can get back to what we do have. Yeah. Good point. All right. So um, I thought this was a great conversation, and I really want to thank you for yeah, coming thank on. Thank you, Chris. Um, Thanks for having. It was me. a lot of fun. I'm not sure we got you drunk enough, but we'll try better next time. Yeah, you did not drink nearly enough. We can record another one. Okay, we will we record will. another one. Oh yeah, you're 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 close to us. Um, so uh, with 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 that, we're not going to sign off quite yet because this is one of the best times of the year. We have it's the most the, wonderful time of the year. It is one of the most wonderful times of the year as far as sports goes. That's right. And all of us are big sports fans. And sports puck. Sports puck. Go sports ball. Go sports ball. <laughs> Um, we've got the NBA finals. We've got game four. Dun, 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 dun. Is it tonight? Okay, tonight. Try. And uh, what do you think? The Raptors? What do you think? I want the Raptors. I still think Golden State. I mean, they're just. Oh, Derek's not. I, I looked at Derek for wisdom. They're, so. too, they're too good. I, you know, it's, I, I think tonight's going to be deciding. I think if the Raptors can keep the momentum tonight, they, they've got it. If if they don't, if they lose tonight, I think. What do you think about the What do you think about the uh, Stanley Cup? You paying attention to that at all? A little bit. Again, I you know I want St. Louis. I'm a fan of Ryan O'Reilly. I totally understand, or I think I understand what he was trying to say when he when he was on his way out of Buffalo, you know, saying that he lost his love for the game. Um, he wasn't saying that. You know that he. didn't want to play anymore, that he wasn't committed to of it. Of course, the typical, it, the typical Buffalo response was, Get you, him out of here. I don't suck, you suck. Right, right. <laughs> Get him out of here. But, so I, I Sounds want, like a way to do annual conference. That's pretty, <laughs> I, that's pretty much South Buffalo, right? You should Buffalo, have stepped right? to the mic and say that. South I mean, Buffalo, you South Niagara Buffalo, Falls. You should yeah. have been like, I don't yeah. suck, you suck. I'm not going to get out, you get out. <laughs> so, but I think Boston, again, is is... Too good. I'm looking over at Derek. You know, I think they have Boston, some St. Louis, some talent there. I think it's different. Well, I mean, Boston's sort of in that category of Golden State. Yeah, I, I, I think it's Boston's to lose. Right. Even even with St. Louis up three two. Yeah, I still think it's Boston's to lose. Okay, I, I think they All are right. the better team. All right, I um in in baseball we're we're you know we're in June now. We want to make predictions for postseason. Well, I, I just got to say as a as a the son of my. 
Yankee loving father. The Yankees are doing what the Yankees do. They're, they're although they lost two out of three to Toronto. I just I loved that. And hey, Vlad Guerrero making his mark, right? Finally. I guess. I I don't know. I'm I don't a Yankee fan. I don't trust Toronto management at all. I, think I really with don't. Good cause. I don't. I don't trust them at all. Ever since the team got sold to Lebet, you know. Well, if, if I had I to make just going to say they'll sell it off for beer money. Yeah, well, well, no, I did. mean Lebet used to own them when it was Lebet and the Blue Jays. It was the most fun baseball team maybe in the MLB. It really was. I it mean, was like Strange Brew. It, <laughs> it was great, but but now Saint Ives Strange yeah. Brew. No, no, that was Special Brew. <laughs> Anyway, um, I say right now, if I had to go postseason, who I think is going to be in the postseason, just to pick out all right, June a couple predictions. Or a few, yeah, this is fun. Um, definitely, I think the Dodgers are going to be in there, and no I question. and I say that no I, question. I think the Strohs are going to be in there again. I think the Astros are, are going to be postseason. Pretty good, yeah, yeah. I really want Minnesota to keep going, um, and their record is awesome, but uh, it's a little early yet to predict do you, them. Do you think that the maybe the Minnesota Twins, as good as they are, are maybe a little thin? And injuries are going to yeah, hurt them yeah. in the second half of the season. Yeah. Could, could, this they're a, not going to have long the season. That's absolutely yeah, it's a long yeah. season. And you know they're they'll they don't have the economics. They don't have the economic ability, or no, don't want to no. use the economic ability. Okay, bets are starting to come to on strong. To, I think Boston, even as sad as they started, is starting to look like a team that may be yeah. able to. I, do I think they're going to go World Series? No, but they probably will get. Close to maybe in postseason. Do you think the Cubs recover and and get, no. make the playoffs? No. no. Okay. No. Nobody beats the Dodgers out in no. the West. But do no. you, what, what about the what about the NL Central though? Do you think do you think uh, we mm. have uh, wild card in there? No. I I I'm a, I don't know. I'm a for those that don't know. I'm a big you know Cincinnati Cars Reds had fan. Had a good game last night, by the way. Um, I follow the uh, the NL Central. I, I, That's kind of your, your I've always sort between of, the cards and the reds. I've always sort of loved the cards. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know about central. I don't. I'm I'm, I'm hard. I'm hard pressed on central to to really go like. Derek's saying no. <laughs> He's saying no <laughs> to go. No, here's a team that that I'm not a real big fan of, but the Braves have been surprisingly decent. And they just signed Dallas Keuchel. Yeah. Did they really? They yes, got they him. Did. They yeah. got him. And uh, let's uh, the Florida team, um, the Rays. The Rays. They've that, been really. That would good. be the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, they've been. They can't attract anybody to come to their stinking games. because they play at the Trop. <laughs> right, all six people will see the, it. Yeah, six the, people. The However, they managed to have a horrible team. They could put up a circus tent and play inside of that, <laughs> and it would be better <laughs> than the Trop. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how bad the Trop is. It's horrible. Um, you know, they would have had a triple A baseball team, but the ML, MILB said no. <laughs> that doesn't meet the stadium standards. <laughs> um, but it's starting to get interesting. I, th- I think. No, it's a good. It's good. Know, yeah, it'll be. It'll we're not be, quite in August yet, but it'll it's be a fun season. I just don't think, and I'm a Yankee fan, but I don't think they have the pitching to hold up. They'll manage to get a wild card because they, they will. always sure do. they will. But I don't they know. don't have they, the legs but to they're make not gonna, it much further. No, no, I don't think so either. Well, if um, if we follow the Wesleyan way and if the Yankees make the playoffs, we will follow up on that next time. Thank you for joining us for A Tribe Called Methodist. Amen. We will see you in our next episode.
Take care.